pretty exciting to see how God is developing the bridge into a sending church and the heart of God expressed in Matthew 28 to make disciples of all nations. I'm not going to be able to see with that light shining in my face. If we could maybe adjust that there, that's a little better. Um, it is exciting to see what God is doing. And then uh, to go on a serving project like that. And God uses, when people serve like that, God uses their service to get people's attention to know why are they there. And it earns a right for a group like Young Life to speak for Jesus at the opportune time. The same is true right here when we serve in our own community. When we serve our community, uh, over time, reputation develops and we earn the right in different places at different times to speak for Christ. Bridge kids, we want to let you go. I know you'd like to stay, but they have better things for you to do at Bridge Kids. So if this is your first time, we're in the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 12. That means we have been in Exodus for some, some time, and there's quite a story that we've developed along the way. And uh, we're going to catch you up in about 15 seconds. On March 22, 2012, Sergeant Dennis Weichel was serving in eastern Afghanistan as they were traveling in a military convoy, Weichel and the men in his vehicle noticed some children gathered in the roadway. And it was kind of a common occurrence because what the kids would do is they would look for shell casings after guns had been fired and it was common to see them on the roadside. They would look for shell casings and they could take them because shell casings were very valuable and recycled and they could get cash for shell casings. Weichel's vehicle noticed children gathered. The kids were picking up these shell casings. Weichel's vehicle stopped because there was a fast convoy approaching. It would be very dangerous to be in the roadway. So they stopped and they got all the kids off the roadway. But just at the last minute, a little girl ran back to the road to find another treasure. Michael saw it. He ran quickly to retrieve her and remove her from harm's way. But he was hit by a 16-ton armored vehicle and was killed. He stepped in. He saved his life. He saved her life. She was safe. She was protected. But he took the blow. And uh, he saved her life. And he sort of became her, her substitute because she was in the path of death. And he took that path. She would have died. He took her place. And this is what Jesus did for us. We were in the path of death. We were in the path of a spiritual death. And Jesus stepped in. We talked about this last week. Jesus stepped in and he took um, our place. Sergeant Dennis Weichel's death was an, was an accident in that he didn't intend to die. The difference is Jesus did intend to die and he knew what he was doing. doing. Jesus stood in for us as our substitute. It was God's plan, and it was God's substitution. The story of the book of Exodus is also about God's plan, 
and God preparing us for who Jesus is and God's plan for Jesus being our substitute. And the story of the book of Exodus helps us understand this. It looks forward to Jesus being our Passover lamb. We talked about that last week. The lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So let's go back now to the book of Exodus. And we're going to do a quick review of the first 12 chapters of the book of Exodus. And we'll start in, there's an outline in your program. We're going to start, uh, number one, the establishment of the Passover feast, verses 14 through 20. Um, First, the institution of the Passover meal, verse 14. And I want to encourage you to follow in your text. Find Exodus 12, verse 14 on your phone. Find it in your Bible, whatever you've got. Verse 14. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate, celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Now, let me just warn you here. There's a danger here you're going to shut down because we're going to talk about a feast and a ceremony and religious practices. And we just sometimes start reading stuff like that. We just, oh, yeah, this is really exciting. Let me uh, bring you up in the context here. The people of Israel have been in captivity for over 400 years. God raised up Moses, remember, as a leader to speak for God and to lead his people. God had already brought nine plagues on Egypt and against the gods of Egypt. He has already explained, and we saw this last week, the last plague, the tenth plague. He's explained it, but it hasn't happened yet. So this is the kind of a context. God's plan this time is for him to pass over Egypt about midnight on the calendar Aviv 14. Remember last week? God changed the calendar so Aviv would become the very first month of the year because God was going to give them an entirely new identity. God was creating a nation that did not exist before. And, and he's, going to, he's going to make Aviv like our January. It's the first month. God's plan is to pass over Egypt. And when he does, he's going to bring judgment against Egypt and against the Pharaoh of Egypt and against the gods of Egypt. That's the plan. He also has a provision for his own people. And his provision is, what I want you to do, you're going to, you're going to prepare the Passover meal. You're going to, you're going to kill, kill the lamb. It could be a goat or sheep. And uh, you're going to eat the meal together as a family or a household or bring your neighbor in if there's not enough of you. And then I want you to smear the blood of that lamb on your doorpost. And I'm going to come over in judgment during the night. And if you have blood on your doorpost, I'm going to pass over and you're going to be safe. The, the door frame, the door was the entry of the house. It's a security point. And typically this had one door. It's like no back door escape here. And so God in, intended to pass over. And he's already explained that to, to Moses. And to, and to Aaron. The institution of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, verses 15 through 20. Now, the, okay, on the 14th of Aviv, they're going to have a Passover meal. But God wants to institute something more than that after they get out of Egypt. And it's going to be called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And they're really wrapped together because they're all about remembering what God did 
on this night, okay? And so this, the timing in verse 15, for seven days you are to eat the bread made without yeast, unleavened bread. So let me back up here. It starts, Aviv 10, they're to take the Passover lamb. On the 14th, they're to slaughter the lamb, eat the meal together. And that's going to usher in the feast of the unleavened bread. What are they going to do the next seven days? For seven days, you are to eat the bread made without yeast. Um, Verses 15 and 16, the instructions. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. This is all about future. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. Must be cut off means to be removed from the worshiping community which means like get out of town, you can't live with us anymore, you can't worship with us anymore until you get your act right with God. Because this is about doing what God says, it's about trusting Him, it's about obedience. So they were to clean their house and they were to remove the yeast from it. Uh, God has a symbol here, it's a metaphor, it's going to be bigger, they're not going to understand it all the first night, they're going to understand more as time goes on what He intended. They're going to they're gonna sell it. They're going to eat bread without yeast. It's not going to raise. And it's not going to be f- their favorite kind of bread. It's not going to taste the greatest. But they're going to do this because this is a night they're going to hurry. And this is important. And God's going to deliver them. And they're going to leave. And so he wants them to do this in the future because he wants them to remember And later there's going to be more uh, to this because the idea of cleaning their house, removing the yeast is also about their hearts. It's about making sure their hearts are going to be okay because they want to focus on God and want to remember God and what he's done. A little bit of similarity here with communion because God wants us to examine our hearts before we share in communion and remember what he's done and how he's delivered us with the Passover lamb, by the way. Verse uh, 16, on the first day, hold the sacred assembly. So there's going to be a corporate kind of worship to this in the future. And another one on the seventh day. So the first day and the seventh day, there's going to be some kind of corporate worship. Do not work on all these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. So God's going to set aside a week every year in their future. This was the plan. No work except to prepare food. And uh, it's kind of a forced time to rest. Maybe it would be good if God would just force us to rest every once in a while. Several times a year, just take a week and say, okay, stop the work, no work, just rest. And God intended for his people to slow down and to reflect and to think and have some quality time to re-engage with him and to think about who he is and what he has done. The purpose, verse 17, celebrate the feast of the unleavened bread because it was on this day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. This is going to be important. They should never forget this. This is going to be huge. By the way, let me just remind you, it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened. But there is a plan that they're going to remember this. Celebrate this this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. So they're they're going to have time to reflect, remember, And this is going to be for every generation to come, including today. And it's important for us to understand the Exodus. It's important for us to understand what the first Passover was about. 
and God's I hope, you know, as we go through this, this study so far, you're, you're seeing the power of God and how he works. And he doesn't work like sometimes we expect. Sometimes he just totally surprises us. And sometimes it just seems like it's way too slow. And it comes back to the people of God. Do we trust him? He's working out a plan. Is it good enough for us or do we have a better one? Lots of luck with that, by the way. Clarifications, verse 18 through 20. In the first month, you are to eat the bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. So it's the first month of Aviv. And uh, we already said God changed the calendar for seven days. Verse 19, uh, no yeast is to be found in your houses. And anyone, whether foreigner or native born. So you could have other ethnic groups uh, in the worshiping community. But they, too, must remove the yeast from their house, or they will be cut off from the community of Israel. So eat nothing made with yeast. Whether you live, wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. So God has a plan here. Now think about this. They are in Egypt. They don't like being there. God has a plan. He says, wherever you live, okay? What does that mean? Well, after they leave Egypt on this night... They're going to be in the wilderness. God is taking them to the promised land. They're going to be in the wilderness for 40 years. Wherever you live in the wilderness, then God's going to take them into the promised land. That's going to be awesome. God's going to take us in, and we're going to live in this, the land flowing of milk and honey, and it's going to be great. And so they need to celebrate the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. But other things are going to happen to them along the way because they don't always follow God very well. And there's going to be a time where they're going to be uh, in Assyria, captives of Assyria. The country's going to come in and take away thousands and thousands of prisoners captive. And then another time, Babylon's going to come in with Nebuchadnezzar, and they're going to take off thousands of Israelis and take them to Babylon. And guess what? They need to celebrate the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. At the time of Jesus, they were back in the land. But after 70 AD, they were forced out of the land again. And, and they're in what, uh, for hundreds of years, we called it the diaspora, the, the scattering of God's people all over the world in major cities. Celebrate the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And now there's a group back in the land of Israel. Today, they are to celebrate the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Some of them do, some of them don't. Okay. Secondly, the preparations for the Passover night. We're still on that same night. Back to the, what we would call the present of the text. The instructions for the leaders, verse 21 through 23. Now Moses is going to tell the leaders of Israel what they should do. First, select the Passover lamb, verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. We've had all these instructions. Now we're going to do it, okay? So select the lamb. No blemish, one-year-old male. That was earlier uh, last week. Next, verse 22, put blood on the lamb on the door frames of homes. Verse 22, take a bunch of hyssop. Hyssop was a, a plant with real small flowers, and, and it ended up working like a paintbrush. They used it, they dipped it in blood, and they could smear it, or they could sprinkle it. And um, they were to dip it into the blood of the basin and put some of the blood on the top of both sides of the door frame. Uh, 
And none of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. And on the Passover night, that had been pretty dangerous. If you were outside and you weren't under the protection of the blood of the Passover lamb at your door. Verse 23, expect God to pass over homes covered by the blood of the Passover lamb. When the Lord goes through the land, verse 23, to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frames and will pass over that doorway. So the doorway was that entry point, And it's like if there's no blood on the doorpost, the, the God is going to come right through the door. And there will be death in the house if there's no blood on the, on the doorframe. And if there is blood on the door, he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. The destroyer refers to the agent of God, the one that God sends to do his work. It could be an angel of God. It doesn't say it's just, he's, this person is just the destroyer. It could be an angel of God, or it could be God himself, or what we would say, the angel of the Lord. As I understand it, refers to God himself. When uh, It's the difference between an angel and the angel of the Lord. Verses 24 through 27, the instructions for future generations. Verse 24, observe these commands. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. Verse 25, when you enter the land... By the way, there's a promise. When you enter the land, what land? It's the promised land. It goes back to Genesis chapter 12, 700 years earlier. The promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. It's also a, a particular geographical location. And it's the land God will take them. But they're not there yet. That's the problem with life is we're not there yet. We would like to be there now. We would like to have all the problems removed. We would like life to be like heaven today. We're not there yet. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. So they're going to do this Passover. They're going to do this feast of the unleavened bread when they get to the land. It'll be the land of Canaan where the Canaanites live. It will become the land of Israel. Verse 26 and 27. Teach this to your children. And whenever your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. This was a major teaching point for every generation. God wants this story told over and over and over again. Go back and watch the movie of the Ten Commandments or the Prince of Egypt. This is a story as it aligns with Scripture. God wants told over and over the Almighty God delivering His people. There's so many things you and I can learn about God from this story. And by the way, there's, God has a story today. Guess what? You are in it. Part of that story is he sent his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. He already did that. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are now engaged in that story as one of his. 
as you walk with Christ and God works in your life and he answers your prayer, he's, he's writing a story and you're in it. Do you see your place in the story? This story is important and it's supposed to be told from one generation to another. And you can see there's a great danger here. It happened in Israel, it happens in the church today. Great danger here. Parents telling their kids, okay, we're going to do the Passover meal. Kids, shut up. Listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we've got to do this. We've got to kill this lamb. We've got to spread the blood on the doorframe. And uh, we've got to eat this meal. And now you've got to ask that question. Ask that question. Okay, now I'm going to tell you the answer. Now go to bed. And the problem is, significant things, we go through the motions, we do religious stuff, we do religious activities, and we don't live the life, and we don't answer questions that kids have. And so kids grow up and say, this is meaningless, I don't want it. It happened in Israel, and it happens today, where you just do rote stuff, and you don't get it, and you don't pass it on to anybody. It just seems like a bunch of rules. And God wanted people to really know who he was and his power and his love and how he's offered a way out. Teach us to your children. Verses 27 and 28, the response of God's people. They got it right this time. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, they humbly received God's instructions, and they humbly did what God said. That's living by faith. Just doing what God says is living by faith. Now, way later, you know, they're going to get out into the wilderness. It's not what they planned. They're going to think, man, it's better back in Egypt being slaves. And later, they're going to grumble, and they're going to complain, and they're going to question God. And, um, you know, you can question God, but just watch your attitude here. You can, you can ask God any question you want. Don't forget to be humble. Um, I think God will answer your questions, by the way. Okay, we go on to verses 29 through 30, the actual Passover event. Now it's coming. We've been, we've been talking about it. There's so many verses about it, and you can go to sleep on this, but now it's here. Here it comes, the event. God executes judge, justice in Egypt, verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, firstborn males, firstborn male animals like cattle and livestock in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon. So it was everyone in Egypt, whether it was Pharaoh's family or his household or his, his officials or his servants, but it was even the prisoners. If there was some, somebody in prison, they lost their firstborn male as well. So this is the Passover. God executes his just, justice. About midnight, God passed over, and the male children in Egypt died. God is a God of justice. It may not seem fair when you think about it sometimes. 
Sometimes we get so into tolerance, we think we don't need justice. God decided justice. The creator God, the one who creates life, the author of life and the author of death, made this decision. He made that call. He can make that call. God, the God of justice, the God of mercy, the God of love, the God of compassion, made that call. He tipped the scales. He's the judge of life and death. And he can do that, rightly so. Um, He is the one, he is the all-wise God. He is the all-knowing God. And this is going to make a huge impact on Egypt on this night. The response, all Egypt is humbled in grief, verse 30. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, and there was not a house without someone dead. This got Pharaoh's attention. Remember, God said, I'm going to send signs and wonders in Egypt. Now, signs and wonders are all about miracles. God was going to show up, and he was going to do miraculous stuff, and he was going to get people's attention. And God's people had been slaves for 400 years. And God is going to use these 10 miracles to get people to think, wait, what's happening here? Something's happening. It's not in our control. And uh, God just, remember, he came kind of slow at this. There was 10 plagues, one at a time. They kind of grew in intensity and focus as they went on. Just getting attention, just causing people to think. God could have zapped it all in one instant, but he didn't. He took all this time and all this story to bring this focus. Pharaoh refused, he refused, he refused, he refused. His heart got hard. And now, Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was a loud wailing in Egypt. If you look at it from the Egyptian side, what would you have thought? What's coming next? It just keeps getting worse. We can't take any more of this. We're all going to die. And then verse 31, we finally get to what the book of Exodus is about. It's the actual Exodus out of Egypt. Look at verse 31 through 42. First, God's people are released. This is what we've been waiting for for 12 chapters. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. Get out of my sight. Pharaoh has had it to hear. Enough is enough. Uh, his gods, Pharaoh's gods, have totally failed him. He's gone back time after time for help, and there is no help for Pharaoh. Pharaoh has no power or influence with Moses' God. And what will Moses' God do next? And Pharaoh wants no more. And notice Pharaoh's last words, verse 32. He says, verse 32 says, take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and bless me also. I don't think Pharaoh is repentant. 
Pharaoh wants in on this, whatever he can do to get in with God so that he can use God for his benefit in the future. Pharaoh wants God on his side. Pharaoh's not willing to change or admit his, he's wrong. He just wants God to do something for him and for God to be on his side. So, verses 33 through 36, God's people receive wealth. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise they said, we will all die. Uh, the Egyptians have had enough. They want people, God's people to go. Verse 34, so the people took their dough. They, they're going to make sure they get the unleavened bread here. So the people took their dough, because God said they were to do this, before the yeast was added, and carried it on their shoulders. Remember, they'd already cleaned their houses. Carried it on their shoulders, and in their kneading troughs, wrapped in uh, clothing, they kept it, they kept it wet, and uh, then the dough wouldn't rise. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. Um, This is kind of an unusual thing that, okay, after all these plagues, God's people are going to leave and they're permitted to go, but you want our money too? And would you have asked the Egyptians for money on the way out? No, we just want to get out of here. But God said, you ask them for gold and silver when you leave. And so they did. I guess it would take a lot of courage to ask. Um, Verse 36, the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked, so they plundered the Egyptians. This was really the spoils of war. They plundered the Egyptians. It was God's war, by the way. It was God's battle. He was doing battle with the gods of Egypt, and he won. And now, to the victor goes the spoils. God's people haven't done anything other than sometimes complained. And they get gold and silver on the way out. But they did paint the blood on their doorposts. And this was in keeping with a prophecy that happened 40 years earlier in Exodus chapter 3, verses 20 and 22. You'll remember that Moses met God on Mount Horeb. And this is where God spoke to Moses and recruited Moses to become the leader of his people. And Moses wasn't really excited about this. He he didn't want to speak to Pharaoh. And God's telling him the plan here. And he says, so I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. That would be the ten plagues. After that, he, that is Pharaoh, will let you go. Verse 21, and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Next slide. Every woman is to ask her neighbor. And any woman living in her house for the articles of silver and gold for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. God said this 40 years before this night. And now God has accomplished what he said he would. Verses 37 through 39, God's people exit out of Egypt. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. How about a map? time for map. So we remember this, the lower Egypt, which looks like upper Egypt to us, 
but it's lower Egypt. And um, that's uh, where God's people, Jacob and his family, the 70 settled. And um, they, uh, uh, Pharaoh put them in Ramesses and Python as uh, store cities, and he put them to slave labor, labor there. So they're kind of headquarters in Ramesses right now. And they're going to, let's go to the next slide. They're going to go from Ramesses to Succoth. That's about a day's journey on foot. And so they're headed out. And this is the beginning of the Exodus. They're, they're on the outskirts of the wilderness, out, on their way out of Egypt. Um, verse 37 says there were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. This is a very large group. There's been a lot written about, well, could this actually be? And my take is, yes, I, I take this literally, that there were 600,000 men over the age of uh, 20. And that means some of them had wives. I would guess a high percentage of them had wives. High percentage of them had children as well. This is a very large group. Verse 38, many other people went with them. So there were other ethnic groups along with the Jewish people. And some of those could have been Egyptians who wanted to go. Some of those uh, could have been other peoples captive by the Egyptians over time who were also held in slavery. And uh, there were people who probably just saw the power of God at work and they knew whose side they wanted to be on at the end. Verse 39, with the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt. See, it's back to the bread. They bake loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare. And they were to be reminded of this for every generation. Verses 40 through 42, this is our last section, God's way out remembered. Verse 40, now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's division left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt on that night. All the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for generations to come. This is how the Passover is to be celebrated for generations to come. And so we are a generation and we are a part of God's story today. It's a real living story because the church is a real living spiritual organism that belongs to God, empowered by God, living for God. And we are to remember that Jesus is our Passover lamb, to remember him and what he's done for us, his death on the cross, and the benefits of being related to God and being a part of his story are available to every person, but it only benefits the person who engages God by faith and places their faith in Jesus Christ and trusts Him and trusts Him alone. Okay, let's step back now. Some quick lessons. I think we have five. Five lessons from this passage. And, and I'm going to start each one with remember because they're all reminders of what we've already talked about. Number one, remember we often forget about God and how He has worked in the past. And God just reminds us over and over and over again to remember. Remember, we often forget about God. 
God's story in the past is important. The Bible stories that many of you learned growing up are important because we learn something about God and how He works. And one of the questions is when we read these stories is what is God teaching us right now? The problem is we've, we hear these things and we learn. We learn a lot of really good things along the way, but we just tend to forget. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 through 14 is one of those great passages. And uh, this is Moses, and this is uh, 40 years later, after Exodus. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, because that's the problem. Failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, because life is going to get good for the Israelites later. They're going to come out of the wilderness, they're going to go into the land, they're going to build their homes, and life is going to be great, and God's going to bless them. When you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, isn't that life is great, it's American dream, next slide. Then your heart will become proud. You will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You forget where you came from, you forget the slavery. Be careful, God says. Second lesson, remember God's ways are not our ways. Nobody would have thought about bringing ten plagues on Egypt. If you would have been given the script, you would have never come up with ten plagues to release God's people. You would have just said, okay, God, this is how I'd like you to do it. Go do it. Uh, Nobody would have thought of the Passover lamb. Nobody would have picked God's timetable. God, this is way too slow. Nobody would have uh, planned uh, God's son to be crucified on the cross. That's not the story of the Exodus, but it's just one of those great examples of how God does things. His ways are not our ways. Isaiah 55 reminds us of that. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And um, God knows, he's all-knowing, he knows what's coming, he has plans that go way beyond for generations to come, thousands of years to come. He's got a plan, and I'm in the story, but I don't see it all. And the question is, is just can you, can you trust him? Even you, though you don't know the end of the story. Uh, we do know the end, but we don't know what's going to happen maybe in our lifetime. And then thirdly, remember, trusting God often involves waiting. It almost always involves waiting. Sometimes not. Remember that God's people cried out to the Lord while they were in slavery. So, Moses was born... A slave in Egypt, a Hebrew slave in Egypt. And Pharaoh's daughter retrieved Moses from the Nile River and raised him in Pharaoh's household for 40 years. God send it, get us out of here. And then Moses killed an Egyptian and he had to go to the wilderness for another 40 years. God, this is taking too long. Moses goes back to Egypt. Okay, plague number one. Wait. Number two, wait. 
God's timing is different, and it often involves waiting. Deuteronomy 8, 2, and 3. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. Next slide which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, mouth of the Lord. Jesus quoted this verse to Satan. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And it comes back, can you trust what God says? Can you trust? Can you wait for God to do it his way? Or do we have to have it our way? Think about doing things your way. List all your options for how you would do it. Predict your success. Or consider waiting. Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord. My advice. Number four. Remember this week that following God is about living by faith one day at a time. This is how Jesus lived. This is how Moses lived. It was easy for Moses. It was not easy for Moses to uh, listen to God's people complain. It wasn't easy for Moses to represent God before Pharaoh. How would you like to be the only one who had to represent God before a world power? Uh, it wasn't easy to tell people, now the, here's what you're going to do. You're going to smear blood on the door frames of your houses because God's going to pass over about midnight and you're going to be safe if you do the blood, okay? Pardon me? How do you do that? That doesn't make sense. It wasn't easy being a leader, but you do it by faith. That's what God wants his people to do is to just to take one day at a time. Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. By the way, living by faith is a choice. Verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value. He, had, he chose values than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Next slide. By faith, he left Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he saw God by faith. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. God wants his people to live by faith. So this week, can you trust God one day at a time? Jesus told us that each day has enough trouble of its own. No need to solve all the world's problems this week. Just take Monday for the issues that you face on Monday. What does God want you to trust him with today, all day tomorrow? He he doesn't want you just to stop doing anything. He wants you to engage in life and to do your responsibilities but just to take one day at a time. Ask him for his help, his strength. Be thankful for what he's done for you and provided for you. Ask for what you need one day at a time. 
Um, what is it you need? What do you need to trust him with? Is it your job? Do you need, do you need more money? Do you, do you want to trust him with your future? Looking for a marriage partner? That's a good thing. I forgot to tell you, we had a wedding yesterday at the bridge. Marriage partner, that's a good thing. Um, you have a difficult decision to make? You have a career choice to make? You need to know whether you should break up with your boyfriend? Boyfriend, just you need to trust God and ask him to guide you and for help and for wisdom. Number five, last one. Remember, God has a way out of slavery to sin. That was the point of the Exodus, by the way. God has a way out of slavery, but most importantly and eternally, spiritually, God has a way of slavery to sin. And John 14, 6 is a simple answer. When Jesus said, I'm the way, he's the way out of slavery to sin. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This is God's way out for eternal slavery to sin. God's way out changes one's eternal destiny. Jesus is that way, and he's the only way. And he invites us to trust him, to trust you can do that today. And I'd love to take more time and talk about this. If you have questions about your relationship with God, I'd love to talk with anybody, uh, privately, whatever. I'd love to explain how you can be sure about your eternal relationship with God. God has a way out of sin on a daily basis as a follower of Christ, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. We live in a culture today that we're so convinced that we can't overcome addiction or difficult sin issues. And so we just kind of buy into that. And yet, I realize it's quite difficult. God has a way. And God has the resources that we need, whether it's an addiction, sin problem, God has a way out. And it, it can include relationships and community and encouragement. And it's a daily walk with God. God has a way out of dealing with temptation. Often, we just really don't want the way. We just say, it's too hard. So, Exodus chapter 12. Next week, we're going to part the Red Sea, or the Reed Sea, whatever one you want to call it. So please come back. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for uh, your story, for telling us how you've worked in the past, for how you've raised up people to be your people, people that you've called to follow you, the story of Israel. I thank you that we today have a part of, in that story through Jesus Christ you're not done with us. Help us to learn to trust you. Help us to learn to wait on you. Help us to learn about who you are, that you're worthy of worship, that you're worthy 
of our time, that you're worthy of our respect, that we can count on you to keep all the promises you've made. And we have so many. We give you praise. Help us to learn. Help us to walk humbly with you for Jesus' sake. Amen.